if you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to uh, get them out. If you don't have a Bible, just uh, reach under the seat in front of you there. There should be one, or, or look around, and you can find one. If you can't find any near you, you can just get out to the lobby there. We've got stacks of them out there. Uh, you should be able to find We're going to be in Revelation uh, chapter 13 today. We've been in the book of Revelation, I think, um, since January, actually. It's been quite a while we've been working through here, and we're, you know, about halfway through the book. It's page 135 in the church, 1035, sorry, in the church Bibles, if you need a page number. Uh, last book in the Bible, all the way on the right, halfway through it. And again, this morning, we're going to be looking into some of the uh, most sensationalized and mythologized, mythol mythologized, eh, big words this morning, uh, sensationalized and mythologized verses in this book. Some of the most, one more time, sensationalized and mythologized, there we go, verses in the entire Bible, actually. Um, may, you know, maybe the four horsemen of the apocalypse or the battle of Armageddon, um, they might be more famous, um, but uh, certainly not by much. The subject of the uh, beast and the, the mark of the beast is one that's uh, pretty familiar with even uh, people who've never gone to church and, and never read the Bible. It's in movies, in stories, it's, uh, songs have been written about this. 666, the number of the beast. Brings me back to high school. People even have it tattooed on their bodies in places, whether they have any idea what it means or not. It's just a, a very prominent cultural symbol by this time and in our day and age. Most people have no idea what it means. But this chapter, we're going to be going through uh, today, what we're going to be going through today is, is the source of all that interest and all that speculation. And if we want to avoid being caught up in all kinds of speculative theories about this subject, then we, we need to know what God says is really going on here. And what we are reading about here in Revelation uh, chapter 13 is really, um, in one way, the last straw with God. The final indignation, the final rebellion, the final things before the end, the final act of the adversary before God intervenes in this world. And remember, God said that the, this, the great tribulation, which is well underway by this point in our story, is His idea, right? He, he's not going to stop it before it's time. God is waiting. God is restraining His wrath on the earth at this time. As the wickedness on the earth grows to unprecedented levels, mankind continuing to refuse to stop their headlong pursuits of murders and sorceries and sexual immorality and thefts. That's exactly what it says in the last verse of chapter 9. Even after all the warnings God has given, they will not stop this stuff. And as the earth continues to be drenched with the blood of the saints at this time, God waits. And these things that we're reading about here, these final maneuverings of the adversary, this plan with the beasts, as we read last week, this is the time, and these are the things, the, the final great escalation of wickedness and arrogance on the earth has reached its climax, or will reach its climax with these things. And the wickedness of the earth is finally going to 
approach the line, the, the pri- finally going to approach the line and eventually cross the line of God's tolerance. These are the events that will unfold in the, event, in the end, events so destructive and wicked that God will finally respond with righteous and holy anger. There's been years of great persecution and wickedness, escalating persecution and wickedness, and God has not stopped it. And it keeps growing, and it keeps growing, but He's going to. One day He will, and we're finally getting to that point in the story. These are the last things that result in the day of the Lord finally dawning on this earth. The day of God's great vengeance on His enemies and the kings and gods of this earth. That's, that's been promised since the beginning. Jesus called this time in Luke 22, days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Therefore, there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people, Jesus says. This is what Moses promised to Jacob's family way back before they ever even entered the promised land. Moses said this to them. Deuteronomy 32, he said, Rejoice, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Isaiah 24 gives this dire prediction of this time that's coming. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with the master, so with the maid, as with her mistress, mistress, with the buyer, with the seller, with the lender, so with the borrowers, with the creditor, so with the debtor. The idea is nobody's going to escape this. It's for everyone. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. Ezekiel wrote about this when Israel was in captivity in Babylon. Zechariah wrote about this when they were building the, the second temple. There's, these are great and terrible promises that fill the Bible. And here in Revelation, we're at the point in the story where John is seeing these last few things, the last few things to happen before God fulfills these great and terrible promises fully. Now, just a couple of things before we walk through some of these verses here. I just want to remind you, Revelation 12 and Revelation 13, it's, it's all a story, and it's a story written in parable form. Okay? It's a story in which symbols are used to represent real things. We, we have this kind of story all the time. We know how to handle this. The New Testament, Matthew especially, is full of these kinds of stories. These, these chapters here, 12 and 13, that's what's going on. The story is being told through four primary, alleg- primary allegorical figures. You see the woman in chapter 12, 1. Right? The woman, she represents Israel. We, we talked about that, how that relates to Joseph's dream uh, way back in the beginning. And we see a dragon. We know who the dragon is. It's, you can read it right there in Revelation 12, 9. It says... Uh, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. That's who the dragon represents. And then there's two beasts. Chapter 13, verse 1, a beast from the sea. And chapter 13, verse 11, a beast from the land. You see that? Yeah, that's, this is what this story is about between uh, Revelation 12 and 13. 
The first part of the story is chapter 12, 1 to 6. It's the story of the woman and the dragon, and the dragon trying to devour the child that the woman is going to bring into this world. It's trying to kill the Messiah. That's what's going on here. We saw this play out in that uh, the devil did try to kill Jesus when he was born. He tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, and God had to send he and his parents uh, to Egypt to escape all that. But the point is, uh, this is the story of the first coming of Jesus and Israel, and the dragon fails there, and God was successful. He protects the woman and the child. And the second part of the story is uh, chapters 12, verses 7, sorry, chapter 12, verses 7 to 12, that's the, the third woe. Remember the, the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets are all called the woe, and we read the first woe is the fifth trumpet, the second woe is the sixth trumpet, and then the third woe is the third trumpet, and the third trumpet is just being blown here, and we find out that the woe is the fact that there's a war in heaven, and Satan loses, and he's finally cast out, and he is cast to the earth and it says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And that starts the third part of the story there in chapter 12, verse 13 to 17, another attempt by the dragon to destroy the woman. But it ends with the dragon in his frustration and fury at not being able to once again destroy the woman. God provides for her. He protects her. He leads her into the wilderness for nourishment and survival. And the devil is frustrated. And it says he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and, those, and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And this war that he wages, um, being cast to the earth and knowing his time is short. This war in his pursuit of the saints and the domination of the world then is then described in Revelation chapter 13. So 13 is going to be the explanation of this war that the dragon is going off to make on the saints. Verse 17 of chapter 12, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So let's just go through this story and, and look and see what God shows, about, shows John about this time at the end of the age. And we leave off the story here, and he stood on the sand of the sea. The story of the dragon waiting on the sand of the sea. The sea on one side and the land on the other. In verse 1, we read, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Well, right away, I think everybody can see there's some similarities here, right, between the beast and the dragon. How many heads does the beast have? Seven. How many heads does the dragon have? Back in verse 12, right? Another sign in heaven appeared in heaven. Sorry, verse 12, verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Hmm. Kind of like the beast, seven heads and ten horns. Now, there is one difference. Uh, the dragon has crowns on its heads, you can see in verse 3. But the beast has crowns on its horns. Why does the beast, what does the beast have on its heads? It doesn't have crowns on its heads like the 
dragon does. What's, what's the beast got on its head? It says right there, blasphemous names, right? Blasphemous names on its heads. Blasphemous. Um, defamation is really what's there. Slanderous. Defaming. Defamation, the, the, the definition of this blasphemous, to damage the reputation, character, or good name of someone by slander or libel. To harm or destroy the reputation. To speak evil maliciously. To dishonor by slanderous reports. That's what blasphemy is. Like we've seen already through Revelation here, a lot of what John is seeing is directly related to what God showed Daniel 500 B.C. Right? There's a lot of similarities. If you want to just keep your finger in Revelation 13 if you want and look back at Daniel if you want to follow along. I'll read the verses, but uh, you can follow along. Daniel is uh, right, uh, right after the big prophet books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then Daniel is right next. You can look it up if you want. Daniel 11.31 says... Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and they shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And then it says this a few verses later, he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. We're going to see that, like I talked about last week, one of the things that Satan does, he's, he's a faker, right? He's a counterfeiter. He wants, to, he wants to impersonate God. And so his names, these blasphemous names, are because there's an evil impersonator of God. We're going to get into more of that again as we go through. But there's a lot of similarities between what Daniel said and what John said about the nature of this beast and how he's related to blasphemy and false worship and abomination Daniel 7, 7 says, After I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, it was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Hmm, that's what we just learned in Revelation chapter 13, right? This beast has ten horns with ten diadems on its horns. The angel goes on to tell Daniel that who these ten horns are or what these ten horns are. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, the final kingdom, Ten kings shall arise. So the ten horns represent ten kings. We see that from Daniel. We're going to be reading a lot more about this beast, okay, in, in, in this, our study of Revelation. I don't want to spend too much time on the symbolism of the heads and the horns and the crowns at this time, okay? Let me just read to you uh, what it says in Revelation chapter 17. You can read the whole chapter if you want to read a lot more about the symbolism and what the heads and the horns and all of that stuff means. We'll get to that one day, just not today. But in Revelation 17, John is shown this vision of a great prostitute. The harlot of Babylon, sometimes she is named. Well, in the vision of this prostitute, you can read, well, in chapter 17, verse 3, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So this beast is going to come up again later, and we'll find out a lot more about what exactly is going on with that symbolism. It does say one thing that's pretty interesting, though. If you, if you look down a little bit, um, when John sees this 
seven-headed, ten-horned beast with a scarlet woman riding on it. He says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise out of the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other is not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was not and is not, it is an eighth, but it does belong to the seventh and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. They are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. And they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. Everybody understand that okay? <laughs> I got the last part, that's for sure. Right? King of kings and Lord of lords. Right? The rest of that, we're going to get to all the beasts and the horns and the heads and all of that in a few weeks. But what we need to know today in Revelation chapter 13, is that this beast, it shares some traits with Satan. It's, the idea is, it's on Satan's side. This is just like Satan. We see verse, uh, verse 2, just another confirmation that the things that John is seeing here are some of the same things that Daniel saw, right? And I saw, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Daniel 7, the first three beasts that Daniel sees coming out of the sea in his vision are what? A lion and a bear and a leopard. And we know that Daniel was told that these, are the beasts, these beasts represent the next three kingdoms or the three consecutive kingdoms coming on the earth of Babylon, Persia, and Greece. So it would appear that the beast that John is seeing coming out of the sea is a kingdom and a king that arise that are a combination of those three kingdoms, the lion, the bear, and the leopard of Daniel's vision. Well, what is that area of the world today? Well, it's Turkey and Syria and Iraq and Iran. Anyway, this beast that seems to be a combination of the beasts of Daniel, this beast is on Satan's side. So much so that, you can see in the end of verse 2, the and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. This, remember who's in charge of this fallen world now? Satan. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Well, Satan is going to take all that power that he's been wielding and he's going to hand it all over to this minion of his. The one who is like him. Verse 3 says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. Okay, you can just look down in verse 14 too. Um, you can see um, another description of this wounded head. It says, The beast that was wounded by the sword yet lived. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know all that this means. It seems, though, like there is some kind of miraculous event of some kind 
Maybe some kind of counterfeit resurrection? It's hard to know because the beast is a symbol, right? And, and we talked about this before. The beast is both a kingdom and a king. So is this mortal wound a wound to a kingdom? Or is it a mortal wound to a king? Or is it both? It, it just gets a little muddy from our perspective right now. We're not sure what's going on here. But what is clear is that when people see whatever it is that has happened, whatever this mortal wound and being healed, when people see whatever that is, it's going to have a tremendous effect. This living through a mortal wound, seemingly miraculous healing of one of the heads of the beast, well, you can see what the result of that is in the end of verse 3. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. This is going to have an effect on people, whatever this is. It's going to astound people. People are going to be amazed by what is happening. Verse 4 says, And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Okay, remember, these are statements of worship. Right? It doesn't say they're rebelling against the beast or the dragon. They're worshiping the dragon. They're worshiping the beast. This is a statement of appreciation of the beast. Right? Remember, that everybody's enthralled by this whole thing. They're marveling at the beast. They're worshiping the beast. They're following their beast. And they're saying, who is like the beast? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer to them? No one. No one's like the beast. Right? Who can fight against it? No one, no one can fight against. Our beast is stronger than everything. Our beast is more glorious and wonder, wonderful than everything. The beast and the dragon are the only ones. They are all powerful. That's what this is. That the world is going to give their allegiance and worship to what's happening here and to these figures. And remember, Satan is a counterfeiter. One of the things he is doing through all of this is he's trying his best to impersonate God and convince the world to follow him as God. And here we see the beast accepting the worship that only God deserves. There's no one like you, beast, everybody is saying. You're all powerful. You can do anything. Nothing can stop you. And they follow him. Verse 5 beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Again, a similar description in Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, again, it says, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and he shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. Paul says this about him, that he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This beast is going to amaze the world. 
Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And here John is confirming the whole world will be amazed. The whole world will bow down. Satan and the beast will deceive and rule the whole world. Verse 5b, the end of it, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. God's going to let him do it. God's not going to put a stop to this. This is all part of the plan. We'll get to more of that again in a second, but verse 6, look what he does. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. What's the beast railing against here? What's he uttering blasphemies about here? What is it he's trying to defame? Well, he's listed. The name of God. His means his reputation. This is what it's always about, right? Is God, is God who he says he is? Has God, does God have the power to do everything he said he would do? That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to make God a liar. He wants to prove God unable to do his will. Uh, he wants to prove God unable to fulfill his promises. And he's slandering God's reputation. What else is he blaspheming about? His dwelling, his tent, his tabernacle, the place where God is, his throne room. And those who are in it. He's, what's going on here? You've got to remember what just happened. He just got thrown out of heaven, right? He got thrown to the earth. And here he is, shaking his fist at heaven. He's shouting at the throne room of God. He knows what's shortly going to emerge from that throne room, from that tabernacle. Because Revelation 15 makes it clear. Here's the real answer to the question of the world at this time. It comes in Revelation 15. Remember what everyone's saying? Who's like the beast? Who can fight against it? Well, here in Revelation 15, we get the answer. The answer is God. God can fight against him. Right? God is greater than the beast. It says, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. True and just are your ways, O King of the nations. Right? Great. The, the devil has nothing. The dragon, the beast, their deeds as wonderful and deceptive as they are. It's God who has the great and amazing deeds. O Lord God Almighty, dressed and true are your ways. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. That's the answer to the world's questions. Who's like the beast? Satan, his minions. Us, no one's like God. Who can, who's, who can beat the beast? Who can defeat the beast? Who can stand against the, the beast? Lots of people. Lots of people can. We'll find out who at the end here today. But nobody stands against God, and nobody's like God. And heaven declares that, and we know that that's the answer, and so does the devil. But the time is not yet. The time um, for stopping the beast has not come, and God is going to give him more authority still. Right? Verse 7 says, And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. 
and authority was given it over every tribe and language and nation. It's allowed to make wrath on the saints. It's allowed to win. It's allowed to kill them. It's allowed to dominate the whole earth. That's the destiny of the beast. Authority over the world and the worship of its inhabitants for a time. Verse 9 says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone's to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This is a, a little bit of a flashback to the seven letters. Remember the seven letters of chapter 2 and 3? Jesus has already dictated John. They, each one says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And what's the main exhortation of those seven letters? You might remember. Endure. Don't give up. Keep the faith. The point here is that captivity and death is not defeat. We already read in chapter 12, 11, that we will conquer the beast. We will even conquer Satan. It says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. And that's what's going on here. Don't, don't worry, Jesus is saying. Just like all those promises I gave you about the blessings for those who have an ear to listen, listen to me now. People are going to be taken captive. People are going to be killed. Don't even think, though, that that means defeat. Endure. Keep the faith. All of my promises are still true. Everything I said I was going to do, I'm still going to do. And that's important because it's going to get even crazier now and more deceptive on the earth. We haven't even got to the crazy part yet because there's still another beast that's going to join this sideshow of Satan here. Verse 11 says, Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. A remember, a, a different source on the other side of the dragon. So you've got the beast out of the sea on one side the dragon has, and the beast out of the earth is coming out on the other side. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Okay, again, we're back to the counterfeiting thing here, right? right? Who in the Bible is the lamb? Right, Jesus. This is a false lamb. It's a false Jesus. Jesus himself warned about this, right? He was, when he was talking to his disciples about the last days in Matthew 24, 24, he says, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And here we have, the, finally in the story, the false Christ and the false prophet arriving on the scene. And how do we know that this is a false prophet, a false Christ? Because, look, it spoke like a dragon. That would never be the description of our Messiah. The idea is that this looks like a Messiah. The, the world feels like this is a Messiah. He presents himself as a Savior. But inside, he's just like the dragon. He talks, he, he's just, he's as much of a blasphemer as the beast and the dragon are. And the, like the dragon, like the dragon who gives his power and authority to the beast, this two-horned false lamb will give itself, sorry, will give itself to the exaltation of the beast with seven horns and ten heads. It will point the world to worship the first beast. 
It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its present and make the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So some um, in its presence or it could mean on behalf of as, as well. The idea is that this is nothing for the second beast. He's not aggrandizing himself. He's not prom promoting people to worship himself. He's pointing all the people to the first beast and the worship. It, was, it performed great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it was allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceived those who dwell on the earth telling them to make an image of, for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Okay, we talked about this last week a bit. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. But apparently, this uh, false prophet, which we find out is who this is later, this, this beast out of the earth, it makes an image of the first beast somehow causes that image to breathe and talk and then somehow says if you don't worship that image well you're going to be slain i don't know what that is there's a lot of different speculations i'd, I'd love to hear your theories on what that is we'll know at the time but this sounds like another miraculous thing just like the fatal head wound that was healed and i i don't know it's going to be amazing, though, because the whole world is going to follow this and participate in this. Verse 16 says, And it causes both small and great, both rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Now, this is a direct blasphemous act. What is this a counterfeit of? What did God say to his people right back in the beginning, right when they were about to enter the promised land, way back in Moses' time. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. What did he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I mean, here we have even this being faked by Satan and his minions, mandating his own mark to replace the mark that God wants people to have mandating his own mark on people's hands and foreheads. It's kind of like, I'm going to stamp out the word of God on these people. I'm going to put my own name on them. Because that's what he marks them with. Verse 17, right? So that no one can buy and sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And this is a pretty big deal. Because not having this mark is going to have tremendous consequences, apparently. No buying or selling for anyone unless they have this mark. Verse 18 says, This calls for wisdom that the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's, it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So this is a bit discouraging to me, I think. Um, it calls for wisdom, 
and understanding to understand this? I have no idea. <laughs> I guess I'm not very wise or understanding about this right now. Uh, but I'm sure there are people who are and are getting more wisdom and understanding. This kind of goes back to what the angel told Daniel at the end, like, hey, this is going to take a while. And this, this is going to be sealed for a while. It's gonna, people are going to have to wait for the, these things to become clear. I'm still waiting here on what exactly the number 666 is. Calculate the number of man. Um, a lot of people want to pick the, you know, the letters for number thing, and then you plug in Nero's name, and it comes out to 666 if you use the right language, or you... Donald Trump's name, or Joe Biden, or the Pope, or I don't know, you, you, you just, I think it's called gematria, and it depends on what language you use, what number values are, and it's a real thing, don't get me wrong, like the Greeks and the Hebrews did use uh, regular words for numbers, and, and vice versa, and things like that, but anyway, I, I don't know what that is, we'll, we'll figure it out, we'll know when we need to know, is the thing, there's a lot of other things that signal the identification of the beast long before calculating the number ever becomes a factor. Anyway, we're going to sing here. You guys can come up again. Here's the thing. This kind of sounds terrible, doesn't it? The amount of deception that is going to be put onto this world with this scheme of the dragon and the sea beast and the earth beast, all the false worship and all the false wonders and the, the pressure, the amount of coercion and persecution that is going to come on this world and especially the people of God, who is going to be able to withstand the delusions and the pressures of this time? Is it even going to be possible to resist? And if so, who, who's going to be able to stand faithful to the end? I'm not sure what you're trusting for in this world. I don't know what you think you'll do in the end and where you're going to put your trust and what you think is going to be the way to survive. Well, there's an answer, and John gives us the answer. It's in actually in chapter 13, verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship the beast, except everyone whose name has been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. That's going to be the difference in the end. There is a way of escape from this great deception and persecution. There is a way to stand in the last great battle and oppression for truth in this world. Have your name in the book. That's how you can survive. The book of life. So the question for all of us today and the question for everyone for all time everywhere is, is your name in the book? Because if it's not, you will not stand. How do you know if your name is in the book of life? Well, whose book is it? This book belongs to the Lamb. This book belongs not to the fake Lamb, the actual Lamb. The Lamb who was slain, and by His blood He purchased a kingdom of priests and kings to God. The real Lamb. That's who the, this book belongs to. And whose names are in it? All who declare their allegiance to Him. That's whose names are in it. All people who put their faith in the Lamb. Those are whose names are written in the book. Is your name in the book? Have you bowed your knee at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ? Because that's the only way your name's getting in the book. 
right? If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you are trusting in his life and death alone to pay the price for your sin, your rebellion, your faithfulness, think about your life. Think about tomorrow and this week. Think about how you live out your life every week. Are you really trusting in him? Not trusting in your own goodness, not trusting in your own wisdom, your own cleverness, your own your own ability to light your own path and figure out your own way through this dark world. Is that what you're trusting in? Are you trusting in your own good works? Maybe you're not sure anymore. There's lots of people that aren't. This has been a very confusing time in life, has it not? The pressure driving people to figure things out and try and predict the future and try to protect themselves and plan their way through this crazy time. good news if that has captured your heart if you've been led away by the entrapments of this world or the worries of this world the successes the failures the good things the bad things it doesn't matter come back to the cross our God is a savior and he loves to save he is full of grace and mercy and patience and forgiveness just come back come back to the stand at the cross that's where the answers are to all of this stuff that's where the perseverance through this time of trouble is found. That's where the answers are, no matter what the question is. Come back to the cross. Come back to the Savior. Take shelter in the cross. Trust in Him alone, no matter what's going on. He can protect you and keep you, even to such a great and terrible conclusion of history. He is powerful to save. Our God has declared salvation for all who call upon his name, and he will not fail to save. And all the powers of darkness will not be able to stop him. Satan and his beast and his false prophets and his signs and his wonders that deceive the whole earth, well, it's all powerless before the purposes of God. He will not fail. Yes, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all powers and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception, but in the end, all his plans will fail. The lawless one will be revealed, but good news, the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth by, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Our king is more powerful than all who dare to stand opposed. And he will bring all of their schemes and all of their plans to nothing just by showing up and breathing. And we will wait by the cross until that finally vict final victory is won and there's room for everyone.